Uh, so today we will start uh, a new series. It will go through the book of Ephesus, um, or the book of Ephesians, which was written to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is an interesting church. It's one that there's a full account of Paul's missionary journey there. If you want to find background information on this book, turn to Acts 19. We're not going to read the whole account. It takes up a whole chapter of Acts. You know, many times we get little snippets of here and there, but this is a church that Paul spent a good bit of time there. About two years of his life he ministered and he worked in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a grand city. It was a jewel on the belt of the Roman Empire. It was an inland harbor. It was a place of commerce and trade. It was a place of religious liberties to some degree. It housed one of the ancient wonders of the world, a grand temple to the pagan god. It was a place where if you wanted to make your mark in life, you would go. Not much different than probably New Orleans or Houston, one of these kind of seaport towns that just people pass through all walks of life. But one thing about Ephesus is that before Paul got there, it was already being prepared to receive the gospel message. Some of John uh, the Baptist's disciples ended up in Ephesus. So when Paul comes in, he finds already people believing in the Messiah in the way, but they hadn't heard the full account yet that Paul gets to bring. The message of Jesus Christ takes root and it flourishes. Even in its grand beginnings of this church, it's not out of the woods. Because it doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter who your founder was, how great a name that they have. Eventually, the church has to become the people, and they have to make root. In the book of Revelations, we find warnings to this same church. For what was power of the gospel can kind of flame out, I guess, if you will. But this letter is unique. It was actually written as part of kind of a circular letter meant to be spread around to all these other uh, churches in Asia. Uh, we pinned to Ephesus later because this was probably the starting point of its journey. Paul wrote it while he sat in a Roman prison. He had concern for the people there. He, one, he had a deep, lasting relationship with them. And he... Um, cared for them, that they wouldn't just stay the way it was when he left. He wanted them to grow in their faith. For that's what this letter was about. It was about growing a people of God to be more than they are today. Because that is the very purpose of God in your own life. He calls out a people out of all the earth to be his people. You know, we listen to Paul's uh, language and rhetoric, and it's first to the Jews. Paul is a descendant of the Jewish people. A Hebrew among Hebrew, he calls himself at one time. But it doesn't just stay there, because even in the beginning of the Jewish people, there was a promise to Abraham, the father of their nation, to be a, a multitude, more than the stars in the sky, would be Abraham's descendants. But they were always to be a blessing to all nations. And Paul sees unfolding the, the cosmic plan before his eyes, and he's sharing that with the people. And he's calling them to be special because they are indeed chosen by God to be special. One of the themes of this letter is unity. Now, don't confuse unity with conformity. 
Because we don't need to all talk the same, walk the same, look the same. But we are to be one in the body of Christ. From different backgrounds, we are to come together and be one. As Christ is our head, our parts are many. Paul unfolds theology in this letter that we don't see in other places. You know, we take the, the, the meaning of the Trinity for granted, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this was a development in the understanding of the people. And Paul uses that. He talks about the Father and the Son and the Spirit and how these work together for the church. Because in reality, Paul is writing this letter to the church so that it may be the inheritance, the glory of God to the nations. For that is what we are called to be. We are called as the church to be a display of God's glory now. It challenges us because we know that we have our work cut out for us. It's a letter that will push us not just in relationship to one another as we gather as an assembly, but how we live our lives as husbands and wives, fathers and children, employers, employees. For this work of being a Christian should impact every facet of our life. It calls us to be set apart for a purpose that is greater than our own. It is the purpose of Christ from all eternity he had planned for us. So if you will follow along starting in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. You will find these words. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Paul writes to this church. In this very first chapter, he lays out what he'll talk about. The importance of the gospel. In the second half of this letter, we'll find what the importance of the gospel means and the importance of our relationships with others. Paul sat in prison as he penned this letter. Uncertain of his outcome. But he had to learn to walk through diversity through afflictions, through pain. He had learned what the seal of Christ meant on his life. At one point in his younger days, he was a rising star in his chosen profession and in the religious world that he claimed. He said he was a persecutor of the church for he was a Jew among Jews and he was going to wipe out any heresy that he saw that didn't match the beliefs that he had of the scriptures that he read. But he had a problem. He had a problem that many of us face today. He was dead wrong. He had made assumptions and he had formed his belief on assumptions that led him astray. Until one day he experienced the power of God in a way that he never had. And it blinded him. 
And he heard a voice from heaven call him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to those very outsiders he probably despised. Imagine a change of career of that magnitude. Not only are you called to give up your hard and fast beliefs, but you are called to go to those very ones that you hated and that you persecuted to declare that they are worthy to be called children of God. That was Paul. And in Ephesus, he found people who would listen to him. He'd been on several missionary journeys. This is one of his last. It was one that would let him stay a while, let him invest in the people's lives. Do you know why he left Ephesus? You can find it in the book of Acts. I mentioned Acts 19. But his ministry was so successful there that a silversmith began losing so much business because they made idols and crafts for the temple. People quit going to the pagan temple because they were listening to Paul and going to this church Paul was starting. To the center of the Roman world was this temple. The Ephesians were known as the temple keepers. He was hurting their business because of the gospel. It led to a riot, which led to Paul leaving. It's incredible how these things take place. And so many years later, Paul writes to a church that was left with his own leaders. It wasn't one like we have finding in the church at Corinth where they were just plagued with problems. It was one where it was good. It was founded on the right footing. They didn't seem to be these internal squabbles that these other ones had. They were growing. But Paul still chose to write them this letter because even though we are doing well today, we could always do better. Because sometimes, you, you know the saying, ignorance is bliss. If we've just learned enough to where we're comfortable with the call of Christ on our life, we can go about doing the same thing we do week in and week out. Talking to the same people, doing the same activities, because we are comfortable where we're at. But that is not the gospel message. The gospel message calls us to be ambassadors to be represented of Jesus Christ on earth, as it says, to be the praise of His glory, we are called to be as Christians. And why are we called this way? Because it says, in Him we have attained an inheritance. We are children of God for those who believe, having been predestined according to Him who works all things to the counsel of His will. Now this word predestined, it has caused conflicts in many gatherings. Too far to one side, too far to the other. You can't ever find agreement. Because what happens when we talk about being a follower of Christ starts turning, especially in our Western mindset of figuring things out. We want to know an orderly account how all it works. I mean, we are taught the scientific method as children. We want to have hypotheses and we want to test them and we want to see that is true. We want to know that what we think is true. 
We want a faith that is proven, not a faith that is unseen. And even though we can attest to these things in scriptures, we can attest about the power of the resurrection, we really want it proven to us. And those who look at this simple term of predestination, they want to know what it means. Well, if God predestined us to be here today, to one extreme, he also predestined others to not be here. If he predestined some to be saved, he predestined others to damnation. I can't find that anywhere in Scripture. That God raised people just to be punished for no other reason. But it is there. God is sovereign. He is in control of all. So why is there suffering and anguish in this world? Do we want to hide behind the sovereignty of God? And says, well, God wanted it to be that way. Do we want to hide behind our actions? Well, if God wanted me to do something else, I would be doing it. Now, to the other extreme are those who said that, you know, God has limited himself to where we can do whatever, where we have to choose him, that there is an action inherent in us that gives us salvation. Well, then you get into the whole problem of grace by merit. Paul doesn't proclaim that. For grace is a free gift offered to all. We can't earn it. It is given. But we have to respond to grace. We have to respond to it. Because either side of these arguments can lead us the wrong way. For the way I read scripture, God is sovereign over all the universe. He knows everything. He sees it from the beginning to the end. But I also read in scripture and in the words of the apostle Paul... There is human responsibility for our actions. He calls the church in Ephesus and the church in Corinth and the church at Philippi and all these other ones that he founded to an account that they are responsible for their actions. They're responsible to grow in their grace. Now this isn't a merit that, merit that earns salvation. This is about growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and as the master of our lives. But God called all, as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the whole world that he gave us his Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God chose the whole world. We have to respond to his message in order that we are saved. We are all chosen. You've never seen a team break out in a, a, a game break out in PE class to where you have two people choosing. So you choose them and you choose them. In God's game, he chose everyone. But not everyone chose to stay. That they were distracted by this world, by the culture that was around them, by the pagan temples and all these things. That they were led astray by the prince of this world, the devil. For the devil wants to use every facet of our being to attack us. Towards the end of this letter, Paul will write about putting on the armor of God. But know this, that we are indeed in a spiritual battle. We are being attacked daily. 
we are being attacked by the culture we live in. Because if the culture becomes hostile to God, the devil has won. If the culture becomes silent about God and making everything to be a matter of cause and effect, the devil has won. But he hadn't really, has he? For back in the beginning of time, the Father and the Son, there was a plan. And there was a plan to send Jesus to be incarnated, to become flesh, to live a life that we couldn't live, to live a holy and perfect life as example to others. But even in that holy and perfect life, he was as a lamb without blemish. His very life would be called to atone for each and every one of our sins, the perfect sacrifice to atone for the problem of humanity, which is us, which is sin which we have been given in the choice of free will. When we were given free will, we are also given the curse because we always chose ourselves before a relationship with God. But there was a plan. John the Baptist became a herald to that plan. He proclaimed a message of one who was greater than him would, would come. He baptized those in a baptism of repentance. And his disciples left from there, expecting a Holy Spirit, expecting a Messiah to come. One that was greater than John's message. Some left from that river, Jordan, never to have met Jesus and settled here in the land of Ephesus. And then that day, Paul came to proclaim to them a message. A message of the fulfillment of what John spoke of. A Messiah born and walked and talked and healed and had all kinds of signs and wonders that the scripture spoke of hundreds and thousands of years before he would come. The scales were removed from his eyes and the scriptures were now seen in a new light, in light of Jesus Christ and what he had done. And they became believers and their faith grew and their church grew and so much so that the temples those pagan temples started losing money and they forced Paul and some of his patriots out it was all about the bottom line was it worried that their God wasn't strong enough? no it was that they couldn't put food on the plate because their income came from that temple it came from their culture who said this is what you do Don't be deceived by our culture, one in which came, claims that we are a nation built on Christian values. For Christian values are great, but it is only the power of the resurrection that changes lives. We can have a culture that has built on morality, which is great, but only the power of the cross saves. We can make good people. We can train people to be good and upstanding citizens through laws and punishments. So everyone will be uniform in their actions. But uniformity is not unity. Unity comes through the power of the Son, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Paul reminds them, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised 
Holy Spirit, the one the scripture spoke, the one that Jesus spoke about, you were sealed, you were branded by the Spirit. But it goes on. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? Not only were we branded, but a down payment on our lives was made. An earnest payment on us was proclaimed. We live in the time of already but not yet. Christ has already come and won the war, but yet we still struggle because the war is not finished. For God leaves us time so that we may carry the gospel message to the ends of the earth, to proclaim to all nations in every language and every tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that seal, that brand that is on our life comes through our faith and our actions. Because faith without action is dead. We have to have faith. We have to have faith in the right doctrine. We have to have actions in the right beliefs. For if we want to know Christ's purpose in our life, it is that we believe in Him and that we follow Him in the way that we live. Faith and actions is the brand that is on our life. And that same brand was the down payment, the earnest money, the payment up front, so that when it became our time, to when either Jesus Christ returns to claim His bride, the church, to be with Him in glory, or we close our eyes and sleep for eternity, that down payment will secure our way. For the gospel gives us strength, gives us power, because it is not by our will, but is about the power of the cross and what Jesus means for us. And if we do this right, or come even anywhere close to doing this right, others will look at us as a church and say, it is to the praise of His glory that we exist. It is for the nations. It is for our neighbors. It is for all to see in us that there is something different because the power of God dwells in us, in our assembly, in our individual lives. That is the power of the gospel. And it is all for the praise of God. So I have to ask you a question. It's a tough one. And I know I don't want to answer it. When you leave here, do other people look at your life and says, I praise God for this person? I know some of you, and you'll probably say no, but you'd be wrong. Because we are humble in our Christian walk. But that should be the question that you ask ourselves. If what I am doing, will others say, praise be to God for this action? You might not be doing what God calls you to do. Because that is the purpose he has for our life. So that he may be praised. So that others may see Jesus and hear the gospel message in our actions. It is one thing to have right beliefs. But if they are not accompanied by right actions, this gospel is worthless. To the praise 
of his glory. Amen. Join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us this time to gather together to hear the power of the music that we claim so that the spirit is felt, that the words are heard. But Lord, give us the strength and courage to hear this message, to read these words, to study your scriptures and not just know more about you, but to live more like you. For that is the will you have for our lives. Each and every one of us are given different opportunities to share your message with the world. Open our eyes that we may see the opportunities that you lay before us each and every day. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you've decided to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please come forward. If you've been visiting First Baptist Church and today you want to become a member, please come forward. Or if you're simply in need of prayer, come forward at this time.